the community. Inspire Radio. Welcome back to Talking Time with Lucas and Alicia on the Inspire Radio Network. We are amazingly lucky tonight to have um, a, a West Australian uh, criminologist who is leading the pack, is world-renowned, and is doing some amazing work in so many different spaces throughout uh, this state, this country, and across the world. Uh, we are lucky enough to have Associate Professor Hildy Tubax from, who's a criminology uh, professor at UWA. Hildy, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, welcome to the show. <laughs> Well, thanks for having me. Very glad to be here and uh, to have a chat about my work, which I'm quite passionate about. So always happy to share that. Fantastic, fantastic. And we know from from the work you do, and and you know, I'm, I'm an early career researcher, as you know, Hildy, and are starting to get into this space and to look at the work that someone like yourself does, and it's so inspirational and also aspirational. But I think the great thing you do is it's 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 real life work and. The stuff I was hoping to chat to you a little bit about is your specific work on Aboriginal incarceration. Now, we know that um, the, the indigenous, uh, indigenous incarceration rates here in Western Australia are, are, are through the roof and, and, frankly, too high. And would love to hear your, your thoughts on, on, on where that stands. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, well, maybe to give a bit of a background, uh, because people will hear from my accent that I was not Australian born. So I, I migrated here in 2007 uh, from Belgium in Europe and um, worked for four years for corrective services, which was actually a very interesting perspective for me, always having been on the other side from academia, looking within prisons and then working in prisons. And then in 2011, I moved back to academia and I joined UWA. And my interest in prisons, which I had started in Europe already where I worked for the Council of Europe and a couple of uh, other advisory roles, was what I found interesting when I came here was to see how big the difference is in the number and the rate of people that find themselves in prisons within Australian jurisdiction. So I spent a couple of years looking into that. And then, of course, I mean, there's many other reasons and different penal cultures, but one of the main drivers of our prison population is the overrepresentation of Indigenous people. And that is uh, particularly the case in uh, the Northern Territory and in WA. Uh, I think that listeners might know that the Northern Territory has quite a high number of Indigenous people in their general population. About one-third of the people in the Northern Territory identifies as Indigenous, while in uh, WA that number is a lot lower. It's only about 3% of our population that identifies as Indigenous. Regardless, they are very much overrepresented in uh, the prison population. So nationally, about 29% of the prison population is Indigenous, and the overrepresentation rate is the highest in WA. So we really have a problem there. And if we ever want to try to get our prison population down, that is one of the first. Um, so, I mean, there has been quite a bit of criminological research done on why there are so many people, Indigenous people, in the prison. And it's 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 quite a complex picture, but in, in a simplified way, you could say, like, there is researchers that say that there's more Indigenous people in the prison because they are more involved in committing crime and more serious crime, and they have long criminal records, and that is why they more easily get uh, uh, find themselves in prison and over and over again. 
So it is it, absolutely uh, true that indigenous peoples tend to find themselves in situations of multiple deprivation and uh, huge problems like homelessness, uh, unemployment, uh, alcohol and drug use, uh, limited schooling, uh, education issues, which we know more easily lead into a life with, uh, but that includes criminal behavior. But if you only look at the surface of what is the outcome and not what is the underlying factor, then I don't think that you can really resolve the problem. I'm getting there. No, this the is fantastic. Thing is this is brilliant. This is brilliant. We're loving it. Loving it. Yeah. So the uh, the second approach is that you look at a criminal justice system and to what to what extent that is actually discriminatory towards Indigenous people. And there, I think research results are a bit mixed, but we do know, and, and I mean, recently we had the whole Black Lives Matter movement that also that, that came over from the United States and, 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 and sparked a lot of, of demonstrations here as well, because we know that people, indigenous people are still dying in the prison, in police custody, and that we have issues with how indigenous people are treated throughout the criminal justice system, even if you can't. I, I won't want to claim or blame that everybody within the criminal justice system is racist. I'm, I'm, and I've seen in my own practice and research that a lot of people are trying to do the right, the right, the right thing. But it is the criminal justice system itself that is actually working against indigenous people. And that is why, where I want to come to is that with, uh, the piece of research that we did in WA and in the Northern Territory, then we, we talked to a lot of people. We went to the communities and we asked about their experiences with the criminal justice system. And then it becomes clear that their experiences with the criminal justice system are so different. And as long as we don't realize that, we are never going to be able to actually really address the problem. And um, I think so for me, the first, what we first need to understand is that the consequences of colonization, and I'm not talking about something that happened 250 years ago. I'm, I'm talking about daily practices that indigenous people experience, which are ongoing colonization, yep. and that actually result in, in, in ongoing trauma, intergenerational trauma. Maybe kids are not stolen away from their parents anymore the way they, they it has been done in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. But they are still overrepresented in out-of-home care. <clears throat> there is in a lot of, of daily practices that, that Indigenous people still find uh, are confronted with discrimination and that their culture and the way they do things and the way they are have, um, used to do things for 60,000 years is not appreciated and not understood. So, I mean, it's actually an ongoing fight for them. And then, then it's the, the overrepresentation in the criminal justice system has to do with it. And that is the first thing that we have to look in if we want to find a long-term solution, I think. So so many uh, so many challenges, so many issues, and so many things. Can we? Can you hang around with us, Hildy, and we'll we'll head off to a song. So we've got a few questions we want to explore a little bit of that further. Are you happy to hang around? <clears throat> yep, sure. I think that the, maybe the the second bit you want like to go a bit more in that research, like why the uh, experiences with the criminal justice system are different. Sounds good. I'd love to love to chat with to you. Make about it, it. We'll to be... make it a little bit more concrete. Welcome back to Talking Time with Lucas and. 
Alicia, we are blessed to have um, Associate Professor Hildy Tubex from UWA Criminology Department with us on the line tonight. And she's been telling us some, some of her passion and some of her work in regards to the overrepresentation of um, Indigenous people in the criminal justice system in Western Australia and also the Northern Territory. And um, Hildy, I want to ask you specifically about one piece of work that you've done. Um, there's... It was back in 16 and 17, but it was the, the, the piece of work was called Building an Effective Community-Based Through-Care Approach for Aboriginal Offenders in Australia. It was with uh, John Rin and also Harry Blagg. Can you give us a little, bit of, a little bit of what you found in that space and a little bit of how that might still replicate um, four or five years down the track? Mm-hmm. Yep, happy to do so. So one of the reasons why we started that research is that we know that uh, a lot of Indigenous people in the prison uh, go there for more than once. It's a bit of the revolving door. They get enmeshed in the criminal justice system and they go in and out and, and, and they have a very high rate of recidivism. So the people in the prison told us, like, whatever we, we try to do with them, it doesn't seem to work. From the moment they are released, they are getting into trouble again. And that is why we actually looked in what what is happening from the moment that these people walk out of the prison door and go back to their communities. What is not working for them, but also in their communities, what is working or what might be working for them if they get the support to, support to, to, to do it. And um, that was actually a very revealing uh, piece of research in which we took the stand that it's not up to us white people to decide what indigenous people need. We are there just like actually to listen to them and try to carry their voice to places where we need, we think they need to be heard to make some changes. So we just sat under trees and went to the communities and had a yarn and listened and, and noted it down and checked with them if we had uh, interpreted correctly what they wanted to explain to us. And then we kind of clustered it in themes and discussed it in research reports. And we're still working on that material because it's very rich material. But also, I mean, we're trying to focus on a couple of subgroups which are really concerning, like Indigenous women that find themselves in prison more and more with, with ongoing and very important consequences for their families. They all have babies, are, are looking after children of family or extended family. Women, indigenous women also have uh, specific roles within the communities which cannot easily be taken over by other people. So if they fall through, if they find themselves in the prison, that actually that really um, bites into the structure of these communities with, with very, very detrimental effects on the long term. So that is something that I'm now more specifically looking at. But uh, going back to the initial research, so what, what we found and why the experience of the criminal justice system is different for them. If I'm just going to uh, point to a couple of things. Like, for example, the most of the people that we talked to lived in, in regional and still quite traditional communities. So from the moment that they are in prison, they are taken away from their communities. That has a lot of consequences that are not really there for, for non-Indigenous people or not to that extent. Because of the community lifestyle, they have a lot of responsibilities, uh, like taking care of their family and extended family, but also going to funerals or other cultural obligations. 
the fact that indigenous people can't do that while they are being taken away in prison is actually um, causing a lot of harm and trauma in the community, but also a lot of anxiety for them uh, while they are in prison and with consequences for uh, after their release, because it's kind of liking an outstanding, having an outstanding debt. You are not there for your family and for your culture while you are supposed to be there. And that really breaches the, the, the balance in, and, 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 and the good atmosphere in communities. Other things is that um, because of their community lifestyle, when they go back to uh, their communities, they are, I mean, the family is there uh, awaiting them, but also with expectations from them. So, for example, in the Northern Territory, we all train these people to get a job, then they save up some money, then they go back to the communities, and there is the expectation that they will share their money and their and their earnings, and um, it's a bit of a clash of cultures because our very individualized neoliberal <laughs> society <laughs> doesn't see it that way. We have our house, and when we close the door, that is our privacy, and we spend our earnings in the way that we plan and structure it. Yep. That's not how an Aboriginal society works. So it is a clash of having to, I mean, if somebody is in need in your community, you have to be there for them, which was all, which was the strength and the pride of, 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 of the indigenous community life is now actually backfiring because if you have to look after your family members, if somebody is in trouble and then in the morning you have to get up and you didn't get enough sleep and you have to, to, to go to work and when you come home, there's people living in your house and they have eaten from your fridge because that is, that yeah, you, you can so provide so you yeah. share. So, but that, that uh, I mean, they're the, the having to switch between these two worlds, the Western individualized world and then the indigenous community that approach is really tiring and people tend to fall between the cracks and just give up. And then they have cultural obligations for which they have to travel, but then they can't report to their parole officer and then and then they get in trouble. And I mean, it's really hard. It's between, between a rock and a hard place. Then um, some other things that we we'll, that people shared with us is that um, in the prison uh, there is not a lot of knowledge about Aboriginal culture and how to deal with it. And particularly, there was a concern with Indigenous people that for their youngsters, because they spend so much time of their youth in the prison, uh, away from their communities, because they want to go to the city, because they want to have more access to other things. And they are actually um, taken away from the very important influence of elders in the community who are there to actually teach them respect for culture, for languages, for traditions, on man's business, on women's business. And that is actually undermining the, the oral transgression of culture as it has been done uh, for, for, for 60,000 years because the the more modernized indigenous, urbanized indigenous youngsters, they don't know that much anymore about their culture or they are at risk at losing the connection with their culture. And that is something that, that the, the the elders told us that they are very concerned about. So sense. it's very important that, that actually, even if they are in prison, that they don't are not disconnected from the influence of these very important people, these elders and respected people uh, while they are in prison, and that these people should be involved in the time 
that uh, that indigenous people are in the prison, in programs, in the development of programs, but also in counselling, in 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 all aspects of imprisonment, right. actually. That makes sense. We have the lovely associate professor, Hildy Tubix, with us from UWA. Hildy, we've just had a bit of a conversation about Indigenous um, incarceration, the the cultural impact um, both during incarceration and within the cultural community side of things. Where to from here? How do we move forward? Mm-hmm. Um, that is a very interesting question. <laughs> and uh, the... The answer, um, I mean, there's no easy answer to that question. But uh, what I've been doing lately is uh, actually looking at the Canadian situation because Canada has a very similar problem with their Indigenous uh, peoples being overrepresented in the criminal justice system. And they are actually, uh, they are supposed to be ahead of us in the indigenization or the aboriginalization of their criminal justice system, particularly in corrections. So I've done quite a bit of reading about that to see like if there's actually if there's example of a good practice where we could head. And uh, what I see there is uh, on top of the recommendations that we wrote in our report, I think the most important one is that whatever we do, it has to be Indigenous-led. Mm-hmm. As long as we, as white people, are going to explain to Indigenous people how they have to live their lives, it's not going to work. Sure. That is ongoing colonization. And it hasn't worked for 250 years, and believe me, it's not going to work in the future. And that is a bit the problem that well, but I think what I read from Canadian research is that, uh, yes, they want to make their uh, prison system more culturally appropriate, but then actually they ended up with a very generalized and very simplified, oversimplified interpretation of what is Indigenous culture and kind of imposed that on Indigenous people in the prison as that like, okay, if you want to have a better chance for release, you should reconnect to your culture and this and that. Well, we have this, that and that and that problem. Well, that, uh, that program, well, that is not how it works. It needs at least to be developed in partnership with Indigenous people and preferably Indigenous-led. And I know that in reality that is not an easily achieved goal because the uh, Indigenous people in charge of programs and take initiatives. They are very busy and and they have a lot of commitments. And um, I mean, it's it's sometimes uh, it, people very easily get overcommitted because they are asked to do so many things and and speak so many voices. But I think we have to do it at their face, and we have to do it with them and in the way that um, that they know that it needs to be done. And that is how I, I, I see myself as, as a researcher in this field, is that I, I can only be a, a kind of an instrument and in offering my my expertise as a researcher and my, my position as an academic to, to, um, yeah, to actually voice their voices. But I, I would never dream of, of, of writing recommendations from my point of view if they don't have 
been supported or, or confirmed by Indigenous people that 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 live the life and and the problems with the criminal justice system that comes with it. It's a great point. It's a great point you make, and it's something that we continue to hear. We've spoken to um, numerous um, numerous criminologists, numerous practitioners uh, along the line, and they do talk about not only the inclusion of of the Indigenous voice, but also the inclusion of lived experience um, in some of the yeah. work inside criminology. Absolutely. And, and 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 I know that I know that you're an advocate for it. I know that you're strong in in regards to getting lived experience involved in in criminological research. And I just think it's such a such a, a burgeoning and growing um, area of research in Australia. And and I just think that it just improves and increases the authenticity and the rigor and the, the depth of the research if we do include that in it. Do, would you agree or disagree with that? I absolutely and and I mean it's it's uh, a pleasure to see that these groups are growing and and becoming stronger and and having stronger voices over the years and uh, we were supposed to have a conference in Perth uh, about the reintegration puzzle that unfortunately has to be cancelled because of the pandemic but I I hear more and more of these people standing up and also over the last year I've listened to so many uh, podcasts and they're all for free and you learn so much from the people I think we have to be modest and realise that we can learn so much from the people that have the lived experience and that we have to listen to them to do something and to change the system. I think there's still a role for us to play as criminologists, oh, but absolutely. you have to know where your position is. Absolutely. I always, the days uh, that we could lecture of what, what needed to be done are over. I love listening to, there was, a, there was a guy I listened to over in the States that said that, um, that research and lived experience are like a car the, the front wheel being the, uh, being the research, it can still drive without a back wheel, but it's going to be dragging its ass. And then the guy, mm-hmm. the, the, the guy then said that without the front wheel, the back wheel is the lived experience and they're going to be piss, pushing, pushing, pushing shit uphill. Put the two wheels together and it's going yep. to be a smooth ride and it's going to be a fantastic vehicle that everyone's going to want to drive in. <laughs> that is a fantastic way of looking at it and explaining it and I totally agree with it. Absolutely. Hildy, thank you so much for coming on uh, onto the show with us and, and spending some time having a chat. I, I'd love to get you back on board again to have a chat. And, and, and personally, I want to thank you for your support for people um, people who have been incarcerated previously and, um, and also for the great amount of work you're doing for uh, the Indigenous people uh, that are incarcerated and also uh, in the West Australian and Northern Territory um, areas. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and keep up the good work. Uh, I, I, I look forward to listening to your program. Thank you, Hildy. Have a good afternoon. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. For the community, Inspire Radio.